Peter. I'm Peter. <laughs> and this is Why Did You Read That? It is. Starring Megan and Peter. One uh, of these days you're going to stop saying it. Probably not. Um, I guess I just want to start off and say I'm a little off my game today and paint a little word picture for you because, uh, so I was driving into the office today and I went to hit the brakes in my car and realized I'm wearing slippers. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what's funny? Look at my feet. (laughs) I'm also wearing slippers. All right. Well, I came to work wearing proper shoes, but I did bring my slippers. (laughs) See, and that's what I, I was like, you know, this is actually okay as far as comfort. Yeah. And I do sit at a desk most of the day. Um, but then also I'm wearing a scary stories to tell in the dark all over print. And so when I got to, uh, got to work, my boss was telling me, you know, what's going on for the day and was like, uh, also we have interviews for our new board members today. <laughs> and I was like, great. Do you want to hide me in an office somewhere <laughs> so they can't see me? And then also, I remembered that uh, after we're recording today, I'm headed over to see a therapist for the first time who I've never met before. Okay. So between wearing this hideous sweater and slippers, I feel like I'm going to walk into his office. He's he going he's gonna to be like, we have stuff we can cover. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I'm like debating still, like, do I say anything or do I just be like, eh? Uh, you know, I'm sure they'll ask. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's my day so far. How are you? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm t- I'm not too far behind you as far as like <laughs> I had trouble getting out of bed this morning. You know, running late. Yeah, but it's it's fine. It's fine. We're, We're all here. fine. Here we are. We're doing great, everyone. <laughs> Do you have a uh, well? Okay. We have a, a podcast. We do which have is a what podcast. we're doing now. And uh, the premise of the podcast is we each bring four books. And I will briefly talk about my four. Megan will pick two to hear about. Yes. In depth. And then the other two I'll describe more briefly, but sometimes still in depth because I just want to talk about them. I know. I we do that, myself. don't we? <laughs> yeah, we kind of do, kind of break our own format. I know. Uh, Megan will do the same. She's mm-hmm. got four books for me mm-hmm. to pick two of, and I'll hear about two of those in depth, and then probably one very briefly and one medium briefly. Yes. Ish. Ish. And that's kind of how this goes. Yes. Now, this is October. Spooky. So I'm assuming you brought spooky books. I did. I brought um, spooky adjacent books. Spooky adjacent? Well, some of them are spooky. They range from spooky to, uh, you know, they have ghosts in them and stuff, but All right. they're kind of silly. Oh, so silly is fine. You can have scary silly. Well, I've come to the right place. Excellent. Um, speaking of silly, yes. we always also start with a joke. And I didn't forget this time. Ha-ha. I have one ready. Okay. <laughs> what do you call a deer with no eyes? I don't know. No idea. Oh, man. I sort of hate it and sort of love it. (laughs) It's pretty bad. I'm going to have to go home and tell Cassie that one. I think she's going to like that one. Yeah. That sounds like one she would like. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I hope that this translates. Because, like, I get it when I read it, but I I don't like saying it. I want to be sure I say it properly. It takes a second. Yeah. No idea. 
I think it's one of those ones, like, when you say it, I get it. But when you're looking at it, because it doesn't look anything like... Yeah. It works. Okay. I think it works. Good, good. But it's one that definitely, as a kid, I would have read in the joke book and been like, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, seven, eight, nine, that joke. Oh, yeah. I never understood that. Oh, come on. It it took me... I I don't think I was, like, in... I was probably in middle school when I was finally like, I got it. I just now got this joke. Nobody said because seven, eight, nine. Right. No one explained it to me. (sighs) I know. Okay. Okay. Well. So uh, last time I started us off. Okay. So this time it's your turn. It's my turn. Bring Bring on the scares. Here's what I did. I have two sort of silly books. Well, two very silly books. Okay. And two not silly books. Okay. Book number one, um, I'll let you decide whether or not you think it's silly. Okay. It is called The Bad Breath Vampire by Charles Hinton. Your old pal. My old buddy. is. Some listeners may remember as the author of Jurassic War. You uh, just insist on bringing him into this, don't you? I can't help it. Obviously. Every time I think he's done... Pulls me back in. All right. All right, Mr. Mafia. Uh, This has probably the uh, least thoughtful, most asinine origin of a vampire I have ever heard. Color me shocked. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's so outrageously ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It's bad. It's... (laughs) I almost feel like I need to talk about it because I'm like, this can't continue to just live in my head. Like, I need to know that this... Someone else needs to read this because I'm like, this has to be real, right? This can't be something I invented. Yeah. (laughs) Like, maybe I have a haunted Kindle and things are just showing up on there only to me. Number two Uh is a comic book. Okay. It's Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Oh, okay. Um, And it's kind of a... You know, there's a great tradition of horror comics, especially like the early Marvel days. There was like your, they just put out a movie, right? Tomb of Dracula, I think. I, um, I'm unaware of it. I think it might have just been like a Disney Plus thing or oh, something. Okay. Anyway, those were awesome comics. And then they did a lot of weird comics too with like uh, Frankenstein and there was a, <laughs> what was the werewolf one? Uh, Werewolf by Night. Maybe that's the movie they did. Whatever. And, you know, the, a wolf who went to... A werewolf man who went to space. All kinds of good stuff. Sure. Um, I think Alan Moore's Swamp Thing is sort of like the end of all that. Um, and also kind of a new beginning for comics. Yeah. And it's got some good uh, sort of cosmic-y horror. Okay. And just weirdness. I mean, I've heard of it, and I've heard that it's scarier than you would expect. Yeah. And it's kind of wonderful. All right. Three is a book called Dark Archives by Megan Rosenblum, and that is about anthropodermic bibliopagy, Peggy, uh, books bound in human skin. Mm. So it's a nonfiction book by this lady who's like a librarian slash medical researcher slash scientist, and uh, sort of the history of books bound in human skin. All right. So, and you know, that one I would describe as not terrifying but creepy yeah um finally i have a book called dead men scare me stupid okay by john swartzwelder 
Uh, he's a favorite of mine. He's the author of, or writer behind many episodes of The Simpsons. And this is an entry in his famous Frank Burley series. Uh, Frank Burley is a detective who is really bad at his job. Okay. <laughs> and in this edition, he uh, comes across a mystery that involves ghosts. Okay. So those are my four. All right. I would like to start with Swamp Thing. Okay. Um, okay, so, like, we go back in horror comics history, right? And you have your, like, EC comics and your, uh, you know, it's kind of like Tales from the Crypt type of stuff. Right. And that was, like, a big thing. Then the Comics Code came along. And so what that did is it made it so that comic books... There was this guy, Frederick Wortham, who ruined the world for a while. Because he was like, <laughs> comics are trying to, you know, convince kids to do evil things and like, I don't know, do drugs or something. I don't know what they're trying to convince people to do. Yeah. But he was basically like, comics are probably the source of evil in kids. Even though it's like, yeah, because kids just now right. have decided to make bad choices. Right. <laughs> That never happens. So the comics code gets slapped on all the comics, and that means they can't do a bunch of things, right? Like, they had a... Marvel put out this book pre-code, uh, and it was about, like, a demon. And then the code got on it, so then they had to figure out how to write this comic book about a demon, but you can't, like... You can't really show, like, Jesus imagery, or you can't show, like... Uh, demonic stuff or whatever it got real complicated there for a while so then like in the 90s i think it would have been the comics code became like voluntary and the other thing that a lot of comics companies did like dc and marvel was they would start a new imprint so it would be for example in dc it was vertigo and that was their, like, more adult-oriented comics line and whatever. V for Vendetta. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, like, some of the famous ones from that would be, yeah, like, V for Vendetta, Hellblazer, John Constantine, um, Sandman was a Vertigo book, I okay. believe. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. Okay. And Swamp Thing was, like, a big one in there. So Swamp Thing, this version of it, so the character existed before... But uh, Alan Moore kind of completely redid everything. So he tells the origin of Swamp Thing, like, in, I think, the first two pages okay. of the, the entire Waste thing. Waste no time. Yeah, he's, not, he's like, oh, whatever. Because he has a very classic comic book origin where it's like, he was a scientist working with a bunch of chemicals in a shack in the bayou for some reason. Uh, a bunch of chemicals got on him and he was on fire. He falls into the swamp and... That's how you get yourself a swamp thing. Yeah, somehow, you know, it's like... <laughs> it was kind of funny, because, like, the more thoughtful comics origins were what I call a two-stage origin. Spider-Man has a two-stage origin. How he gets his spider powers is he's bitten by a radioactive spider, which you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> but then his Uncle Ben getting killed is what turns him towards the superheroing game. Right. And then your other ones, you know... Like Fantastic Four, they kind of get bombarded with cosmic rays, and then they have weird powers, and then just for some reason are like superheroes now. Right. Swamp Thing kind of uh, has that first part, you know, the goofy part where it's like, yeah, I don't know, chemicals, whatever. Like, 
Let's not look too deep into it. <laughs> yeah, and then, but then, so in Alan Moore's version, I think the rest of the book is kind of almost that secondary part. Okay. And so he's like, I wouldn't call him a superhero, but he's also not a bad guy. Okay. Um, in Alan Moore's version, Swamp Thing is actually kind of like, well, it starts off with sort of questions about like, how much of me is Alec Holland scientist and how much of me is Swamp Thing? Like, is anything of Alec Holland existent anymore? Right. And he's like, I still have all my memories of being him and like so on and so forth, but I have no, you know, I feel completely disconnected from that. And so it turns out Swamp Thing is kind of like an elemental being that is passed down between people. Okay. So he's not the first Swamp Thing. No. Okay. And it's like, it's gone back for the entire history of not just the earth, but the universe. Okay. And uh, so he's in touch with something called the green, which is like, I guess, organic life, basically. Okay. So anyway, as you can imagine, this gets a little cosmic. Um, Some of the highlights, I would say, at some point he goes to hell to rescue somebody. Okay. Uh, And then another part, he's on like an interplanetary voyage. And in another story, he he actually goes to Gotham City Mm. because... So he has a girlfriend, which is complicated because his girlfriend is a human woman. Okay. Was Um, she his girlfriend before? They knew each other before, but I don't think they were dating. Maybe they were. I can't remember. Okay. And like, (laughs) one of the weirder stories is, so she's human. He's a swamp thing. So they can't engage in like normal human intimacy. Mm -hmm. So what he does instead is he grows this like, uh, looks like a turnip. And then she eats it, and then she basically trips out and has a sort of, like, experience of being, like, one with his version of the universe. Okay. And that is how they achieve intimacy. (laughs) It's so weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So anyway, for some reason, sort of paparazzi character takes a picture of Swamp Thing and this woman canoodling. At some point. And uh, she's in Gotham City and gets arrested because it's like a, a sex crime. To eat somebody's tuber? I guess. <laughs> it's, it's a little complicated. Okay. But uh, then what happens? So she's like arrested and being held in Gotham City. And Swamp Thing is not happy about this. Right. So he basically goes to Gotham St- City and starts destroying the city uh, by growing all kinds of plants and, like, blocking all the streets and, like, destroying everything. And is like, why don't you just let her out of jail? <laughs> and so Batman is trying to fight Swamp Thing, you know, because he's like, you can't do this, whatever. But then at some point, uh, just has to go to the mayor and be like, look, I think you're just going to have to let this lady out of jail because... <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. Are you really willing to die on this hill? (laughs) Yeah. He's like, this swamp thing is basically saying he's going to turn Gotham City into, you know, a prehistoric swamp. And I think he can. (laughs) Um, So it goes all over the place. It goes so many different ways. 
there are lots of creepy stories with sort of like demonic undead type characters. There's, you know, uh, yeah, trips to hell. There's like life and death and all kinds of good stuff. It's kind of like a, one of the early comics that was like growing out of the phase of all comics are for 12 year olds. Right. And was like, some comics could be for 22 year olds, <laughs> but like <laughs> it, it just represents a very interesting like arc in comics. Yeah. But also I think it's kind of maybe the perfection of those old horror comics right. and what those were trying to do. Um, because they could actually do, tell these kinds of stories. Right. So is this a single volume or is it multiple books? I think it's four volumes. Okay. They're all pretty short. The other thing I like about it is like some of the comics, um, especially the older ones, you're like, oh my God, were they getting paid by the word here? Like this is so dense and it's like impossible. There's a series about a mummy that Marvel did that I was like, the art is amazing. But, oh, I don't, I don't <laughs> I'm like, no wonder this didn't go anywhere. Like, who can get through this? A little long-winded for your taste. Oh, my. Yeah. A little. A little. So what I like about Alan Moore's Swamp Thing is it, it, it rides the line sometimes. But I think it clips along pretty fast. And it kind of does, like, you know, this arc and then this arc and then this arc. So even if it's doing one that's a little more... Uh, windy, it doesn't last too long. Okay. So you can kind of like get through it and maintain. So I think it maintains a good pace while also being a thoughtful, creeping horror kind of thing. Uh-huh. So, uh, so you would say that it's scary? Yeah, I All think right. so. And I think it, it touches a lot of different sort of scary ideas. Right. You know, like haunted house stuff and ghost stuff and there's this one, I read this when I was pretty young and was like horrified by it. Cause he, when he goes to hell, he comes across some, you know, nemesis of his that he vanquished at some point. Right. Who is now in hell. And the guy is like, how long has it been since we've seen each other? Like I, I must've been here for like hundreds of years now. And he's like, it was three weeks ago. And the guy's like, no. <laughs> So, you know, it's like creepy ideas like yeah. that of like, oh, hell isn't so great. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I highly recommend it. Yeah. It sounds interesting. The art is good? The art is very good. Cool. Yeah. The art is, uh, I don't know. He looks very slimy all the time. and I, I appreciate it. And it's been, <laughs> it's one of the first books, too, that was kind of, reprinted on like nice paper and oh, stuff okay. so like the colors are a little more vivid right it's not that newsprinty yeah it's yeah. not like you know the color of coffee stained teeth as you're flipping through it's like <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why that was the first comparison i came up with but it's Dude. not like the beige color of the walls at far regional library oh not all of our walls are beige be nice <laughs> Well, we're in a pretty beige room. We are in a beige room. That's true. (laughs) And that's Swamp Thing. (laughs) All right. I like it. Okay. All right. My four. The first one is a book called Cackle by Rachel Harrison, which is about a woman who lives in New York City and she's in a long term relationship that she's expecting is going to end up in marriage. 
but um, her boyfriend, they have this conversation. He's like, I'm not sure that this is working and maybe we should try spending some time apart. And they basically end up breaking up. So she moves to this tiny town upstate where she meets a woman who they become friends, but the rest of the town seems kind of inexplicably terrified of her. Okay. Okay. Then I have a graphic novel called Squad, which is basically like Heather's if the popular girls were werewolves. All right. All right. Then I have Nightmare Fuel by Nina Nesseth, <laughs> which is the science of horror films. Mm. And it basically goes into how the brain responds to fear and how filmmakers adapt like use all of that to make you scared in a horror movie. And why do we keep going back and watching them? That kind of thing. All right. And finally, Queen of the Cicadas by V. Castro, which is about, it's a basically revenge horror in two timelines. So you have one set in the 1950s about a woman who is really brutally murdered. And uh, the Aztec goddess of the dead, basically like, absorbs some of her essence and becomes the queen of the cicadas and like wreaks her revenge on all of the terrible people. And then a modern storyline where they're at the same farm and basically recon like bringing the queen of the cicadas kind of back a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. Shoot. You made it hard for me. Um, I read good books. Let's do Queen of the Cicadas, which, okay. by the way, uh, I don't know if you know, but that author wrote a book about uh, Vasquez from Aliens. I That's, did know that. And it's like, I think it was supposed to come out quite a while ago, and it keeps mm-hmm. getting pushed back for some reason, but I think I think it's, it's this I think month. it's close, yeah. yeah. Um, for people who don't know, Alien, the Alien franchise is like one of my all-time favorite, yeah. along with the Halloween movies, and yep. so I'm pretty psyched about it. Vasquez was like one of my favorite characters from She's Aliens. Great. Yeah, because when I was a kid, I was just like, man, I wouldn't be able to do as many chin ups as Vasquez. Or <laughs> <laughs> go to gym class for the presidential fitness thing, and yeah. I was like, you got to be strong like Vasquez, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's so great. Uh, so yeah, this author, this author is she's part of like a, what I would say is maybe like a class of up and coming horror stars that includes like Stephen Graham Jones and uh, Gabriel or uh, Gabino Iglesias. They're um, they're like writing a new kind of horror, and you know they're getting all of these starred reviews. And uh, I saw her at StokerCon when it was oh, in Denver, okay. so. Um, she won some awards for this book and on that kind of thing. So anyway, it, the basic idea of this, it's kind of like highlighting like deep injustice. So there's all kinds of like common issues and social issues that even still are coming up, but it's told in this super entertaining way that's not preachy and is very scary. Like if you want a horror, she'll deliver. No problem. <laughs> um, so the 1950s story is about a migrant farm worker named Milagros. And she is getting kind of harassed by the owner of the farm, this white guy who is like, 
obviously has expectations of her and it's real gross. And uh, his wife has noticed and she's not happy about it. But of course, she's not happy with her because obviously it must be her fault and not her gross husband. This is the classic, uh, like, Maury Povich setup, right? Yep. Man is cheating on his wife. So let's bring the wife, the man, and the mistress out. And then the mistress and the wife will fist fight. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason. For some reason. Instead Especially of both knocking when, him like, over. <laughs> this poor Milagro, she wants nothing to do with him. Like, right. He's gross. She doesn't, she's right. not interested. Unwilling she just wants participant. to earn a paycheck. Like, yeah. <laughs> she just wants to send some money home. Thank you very much. Bro, I would also be fine if your husband left me alone. <laughs> yeah. Talk to we him about it. We all want the same thing except for one person here. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this... Um, horrifying scene where the the farm owner's wife and her friends basically lynch her and it's does not pull any punches so if you are a sensitive reader be forewarned like there's no smoke and mirrors here (laughs) it's very it's very on the page Mm -hmm. and um as she's dying like they basically stuff the the shell casings of cicadas down her throat um as she's dying yeah and um she draws so she as she's dying she's like first i have this horrible life like where everything is hard and then i cap it off dying like this and she's like at first she's like so sad about the injustice of it and then she becomes horribly angry as is fair i think i think that's a fair response seems reasonable yeah and she draws the attention of the aztec goddess of death who i want to say her name because I looked it up and I was so impressed with myself. I have to bring it back up because I put right. it down. So it's Mikta Miktika Sehuatl. Okay. And I just wanted to say it because I was I was like, that's not an easy name. No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which is interesting because she's also she rules the underworld and she's kind of in charge of the Day of the Dead. And oh, we're okay. coming coming up on that time. So it's we a are. good time to read this. Anyway, she, um, she responds to that kind of rage and the injustice of this horrible death. And so she basically takes on the cause of Milagros and like rains terror down on this farm. And it becomes this kind of urban legend. Mm. And then there's a secondary story where this woman who she like, she came from, from a not great background, but she's managed to, you know, make a success of herself. She went to law school and now she's the successful lawyer. She has money, but she still feels kind of at sea and she craves this feeling of connection and she's having trouble finding it. And um, she goes back to her hometown for a friend's wedding and they're staying at this new bed and breakfast, which just happens to be the farmhouse on this farm where this murder took place. And uh, so she and the the farm's owner, Hector, both become kind of obsessed with this urban legend and weird stuff is happening and they're having like these unusual dreams. And so it's kind of like this old timeline kind of coming into the modern and gaining new life a little bit. I'm getting uh, like Candyman vibes. Yeah, it's been um, it's been compared to that. Yeah, Yeah. probably because like bees, cicadas or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also the, like, long-ago horror of the past, mm-hmm. but then it's, like, infecting Not entirely into the gone. future. Yeah. 
<laughs> like people say, oh, but things are different now. And everyone's like, sure they nah, are. Still mad. <laughs> still pretty mad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Would people maybe turn away from a horrible lynching like that anymore? Uh, hopefully not. Uh, yeah. But, not, uh, but let's not pretend that, you know, it's all, you know, roses and champagne either. True. True. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. It's great. Um, I can see why she's one of the rising stars of horror. She's, you know, telling meaningful stories, which is a thing that horror should do, I think. It's a way of looking at ourselves and, like, the the bad parts of life without, like, me, without, I don't know, getting a little thrill out of it and still gaining some meaning. Yeah. And she's doing that in a way that's horrifying and nightmare inducing and really entertaining to read and nice yeah she's great um so she's written a few books and i plan on reading more yeah it does seem like she's a uh, rising star in the horror world as you said and i hope i hope her vasquez book is like good and popular i have hopes because reading this i'm like i think i think that she can she can tell a a a rip-roaring yarn yeah so yeah Take that, Alan Dean Foster, <laughs> adapter of every movie from like the 80s and the 90s. Well, and did you know that there also uh, was a novelization of what was supposed to be the original story of Aliens for the movie? Of Alien 3, right? No, Aliens. Oh, no. I think it was Aliens. Maybe it was Alien 3. Now I know I'm, there now was I'm an doubting Alien myself because I haven't read it yet. But yeah, there is. There was like this idea for what the actually no, you're right. It was it was Alien Three. Yeah, it was. Um, somebody had an idea for what the movie should be, and it was apparently apparently it's like a really cool idea. Yeah, and they uh, they wrote it out and published it. So I bought it. I have it, but I haven't read it yet. Have to get on it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. It is great. Queen of the Cicadas. Queen of the Cicadas. Which has uh, also this title in Spanish, but I don't want to embarrass myself, so. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) All right. Uh, I will remind you of my other three. That's okay. I've got them in front of me. Okay. Then I won't. Um, So I, as much as I know you want to talk about it, I just can't handle more Charles And you'll get to, you'll get to summarize it anyway, so. (laughs) I think, I think that will provide plenty of. Yeah, Charles Hinton. <sighs> and while I'm intrigued by Dead Men Scare Me Stupid, I really want to hear more about Dark Archives. Okay. So it's dark... the librarian in me. Yeah, it's it's kind of like I've always thought, you know, if somebody wants to really like uh you know get their book in a lot of libraries, I'm like, you just gotta write on a library adjacent topic or it's something true. and then We can't resist it. Yeah, no. I can't help it. <laughs> you know, it's like you're making books for library. It's like, yeah, that's pretty much perfect. Yeah. It's like an unwritten rule. <laughs> right. Oh, this takes place in a library. Well, got to buy that one. <laughs> um, okay. I just finished this last night. Okay. I do want to say, before I talk about the book too much, uh, I read it on a Kindle and it was a miserable experience oh. because it's got like notes at the end of the chapters, but the way they did the electronic book... They're all at the end of the book. Oh. So I didn't know that. So I'm, I'm reading this book and it's like, you have like three hours left. And I was like, man, this really How feels like it's wrapping up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. 
And so then I got to the end and it was like every chapter, there's probably like four or five pages of notes. So are these notes like, um, I got this information from this book or are they like anecdotes? They're like... Kind, they're like footnotes, okay. I would think, except I think they're intended to come at the end of the chapter. Right. Um, but so by the time you get to the end of the book, you're like, I don't even know what this is referencing anymore. And right. they're functionally useless. Okay. So read it in print or know that that's coming and, and be prepared just to do what I forth. do and be like, nah, I just skipped it. I was like, I can't do it. I'm not, I'm a completionist, but not that much. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's basically about, so when she was a young person, um, kind of getting her start in libraries and stuff, she went to the Mutter Museum in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. which is, I guess I would call it a museum of medical oddities. I believe that that is how it's often referenced, yes. Uh, I went there. When we went to Book Expo? What was that? PLA. It was uh, PLA, yeah. We both went to Philadelphia for PLA, and I was like, well, this is probably my... Yeah, it was my second biggest must-do, because I was like, I got to see the Rocky statue. Yeah, which we did. <laughs> we did. Yeah. And they had moved it to the foot of the stairs instead of the top of the stairs, which I was not happy about. I don't remember that. I do remember it's a lot of stairs. It's a lot of stairs. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, not anyway. I'm still mad about it, because I'm like, <laughs> Philadelphia Museum of Art. I understand that you're like, we have all this amazing classic art inside. And everyone just comes for the Rocky statue. Is the motion picture Rocky not art? I think it is. I, I do think it too. is criminally underrated, mostly by people who haven't seen it. I do too. Because I'm like, here's the thing I always ask people. I'm like, do you think Rocky in the original movie, what do you think the outcome of the final fight is? Yeah. They're always wrong. They're always wrong. I'm like, all right, you need to watch this movie. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> Went to the museum. It's got lots of odd things in it, ranging from uh, there's there's this large cabinet in the basement, which is all from there was a doctor who way back in the day developed a technique for pulling things out of people's throats that they were choking on. Okay. And I guess this was, you know, something that they had a hard time doing before. And he kept everything that he pulled out of people's throats. So it's lots of toys. Uh, there's an entire drawer of just pins, which I'm like, why did so many people swallow pins? I bet they were sewing and didn't do it on purpose. That's... Like you, you hold a pin in your mouth. Yeah. That freaks me out. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. There are skeletons in there. There's all kinds of stuff. One of the things they have is a couple of books that are bound in human skin. Um, so that kind of ignited her interest in it. And she has since kind of... Uh, gotten involved with, I think was involved with the creation of this group that basically is uh, researching these books. And one of the main things they do is go to alleged human skin bound books and test them. Okay. Because, so you would think like we'd be able to test them very easily with DNA testing, right? And that would be the way to go. The problem is Uh, Basically, any book that's been handled has human DNA in it. And since it was bound back in the day, probably embedded pretty deep into it. Right. So they get false positives all the time. Okay. So what they have to do is something called peptide mass fingerprinting, which can tell if it's human DNA or not, or human skin. Now, interestingly, uh, as a side note, they can't be totally sure that it's not uh, ape skin. 
because she was like, this could be like a gorilla. However, she was like, I have never come across any accounts or anything of anyone binding a book in ape skin. So we do assume that they're human as long as they're, you know, of that family. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they kind of started testing a lot of them and they found that a lot of them were not human skin. Okay. And so kind of some of the book is about like, why do so many books have this claim that they're human skin when they're not? Right. Um, but then also they talk about like one really interesting one is a book bound by a doctor. And they were actually able to figure out who the skin came from um, and like kind of do some research and figured out uh, where it came from and so on. Okay. So it's very interesting, and I think the biggest core thing of the book is, like, these exist, what do we do with them? Right. Because it's like, there are strong arguments for preserving them, and there are strong arguments for uh, laying them to rest in some fashion. Right. And uh, I think that, like, the stronger arguments for preserving them are basically, like, well... It might seem like there's not much else we can learn from them, but if we had thought that in the 70s, what we would have done is destroyed all of these books, and we would not have discovered that a huge portion of them were not actually bound in human skin. Right. On the other hand, I think the discussion on the other side is like, well, how would you feel like if that was like, you know... Your relative. Yeah. As your dad's skin bound that book, you'd probably be kind of pissed off about it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and that's my other question. So is there any exploration into A, why a book would be bound in human skin to begin with? And B, how, the, how it ends up that somebody's skin is used in that way? Yes. Short answer, it's complicated. Okay. So the why behind it was, in a weird way, uh... It was both respectful and disrespectful. So, like, it was kind of disrespectful of the individual. Well, not kind. It was disrespectful of the individual. Usually the skin. Most of the books, it turns out, that are bound in human skin were bound by doctors. Okay. um, Who would take one volume or another, and they would take skin from a cadaver. So it really gets into the history of cadavers and how they were used in science. Because, like, you know, back in the day, it was extremely taboo to, like, dissect a human being. And, in fact, for a long time, that was a fate that was reserved only for, like, murderers. Right. They would be, like, publicly dissected, and that was supposed to be sort of a deterrent. Because apparently it was pretty easy to get the death penalty back in the day. Like... Because in the book, she's explaining, like, you know, a lot of places, if you, like, stole stuff, they would kill you. So they had to come up with something worse to do for, like, real bad crimes. So they would do things like dissect you. Okay. So that was, like, uh, seen as just absolutely the worst thing. And so it kind of became a problem, though, for the medical community because, like... Everything we know about anatomy and all that stuff, you know, we probably wouldn't know if people hadn't dissected humans. Right. So 
for a long time, dissecting humans was kind of a black market underground. Yeah. Resurrection men. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Somebody would go to the graveyard and dig up a body and then... Sell it uh, to a medical school who would be like, I don't know where you got it and I'm not going to ask. Exactly. And like, there was, there was a little anecdote in here about some people who ran an inn and someone who was staying there died one time. And so they were like, hey, you know, we don't have the money to bury this person and like no one knows who this person is. So they ended up selling the body. And then they were like, oh, that's a tidy profit. So you can imagine things took a turn from there. Yeah. Um, That's an interesting side business. (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of talks about how our sort of perceptions of uh, dignity and death, I guess, have changed. And what's weird about it is in some ways it could be interpreted as changing for the better because I think we are a lot more focused now on like the wishes of the person or their loved ones. But in some ways, maybe it's a little worse because we, it's like, we're almost like more superstitious now or like we're more tied into like uh, the human body being the end all be all. And so once the person's gone, their body is like, all that's left of them as opposed to, you know, other ways of thinking about it. Like that's the shell that you've left or whatever. Right. Um, so it's, it's kind of weird. Sometimes people bound books in human skin because that made the books more valuable. Um, because it made them, you know, like one of a kind and right. so on and so forth. Sometimes they were bound in human skin because the person just seemed to be kind of a weirdo. Um, The person who did the binding, not the person whose skin it was? The person who paid for the binding. Okay. That's kind of, I think, a missing part of this book is like, it doesn't really talk much about the book binders. And it seems like the book binders, well, they often purported to know you know, they would be able to identify human skin versus, like, leather. Um, But usually they're wrong. (laughs) And so then there were other books, too, that were uh, bound, allegedly bound in human skin. For example, um, Crispus Attucks, who was the first person who died in the American Revolution. He was a, a black man, died in, like, Boston area, I think. There was a book that was claimed to have been bound in his skin. And so that would make it, like, you know, really valuable, I guess, in a macabre. Yeah. Very macabre way. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that turned out to be fake. And one of the weirder parts of this book is is that in her research, and they've done a lot with her organization, um, none of the books that seem to claim to have been bound in a uh, person of color skin have turned out to be real skin. Huh. Yeah. And she's like, so it seems like there was a this notion of like binding it in a person of color's skin, you know, would increase the value of it in some way. But weirdly, it seems like the books bound in human skin were not bound in human skin out of like a disrespect for the person way. It was more like a disregard but for their humanity. Right. But not like a trophy way. 
uh, for example, a lot of people will probably hear this and think like Nazis must have done this, right? Like that seems right. like a Nazi thing. Satanists. <laughs> yeah, Satanists, stuff like that. Um, and it turns out Nazis did not do this at all. Huh. Um, and then there's a lot of confusion because I guess there were claims about a human skin lampshade. I have heard that, yeah. And that story has kind of made the rounds a few different times, um, but has been disproven a number of different ways. And so for the most part, people, most credible experts would say, I don't think that ever happened. But they also never made claims about books. Right. So I guess that's what's weird and sort of what the book explores is like, why did people do, like, what was the motive? Yeah. Because it doesn't seem like the motive was like, you, you might think it's like, this person was my mortal enemy. Or like, uh, you know, I'm a monster. I hate this race of person. And so I'm going to, you know, use their skin as leather. You know, I'm going to consider their bodies a a good right. in a way of like, uh, you know, it's a commodity. Uh, right. Um, which, you know, they did in plenty of other ways. Sure. So. But it turns out it's, not, it's usually not like that. So I think that's kind of weird too. Yeah. And they explore that in the book. Um, I think if you're looking for like a book that really comes down hard one way or the other of like, here's the moral thing to do. Uh, this is probably not going to satisfy that. But I think it does a really good job of sort of exploring the concept and exploring the idea of whatever. And I guess, like, for me, the ultimate place I came to was, like, you know, I think these objects can be very powerful depending how they're displayed and used. Because, mm -hmm. like, uh, when I went to that museum... They had a display at that time. It was like Civil War prosthetics because a lot of people had horrible injuries. But like the Civil War was kind of when like medical science was starting to work. Right. Um, they weren't just like, hmm, you're suffering from something. Eat this spoonful of mercury. Let's we'll bleed <laughs> it out of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were like, oh, actually, you know, some of these amputations and stuff kind of work and like we can do some stuff. So people were surviving horrific injuries for the first time. Right. Um, and so they had some of the prosthetics on display, like a lot of face stuff and, you know, and they had pictures of it, but they also had the things. And it was like very humanizing in a weird way because you kind of got to see like, this would have been a hard life. Yeah. Like, and this would have been... You feel really bad for the person because you're like, this guy was probably like 17 and got his face blown off and then he was still alive. But, you know, it, nobody was being fooled by this prosthetic, right. right? Like, And so I think like the books can sort of be that way too and can also serve as like a cautionary object for doctors especially, but people in the medical world of like, hey, like, this is kind of our history. And, like, in some ways, personally, I feel destroying these books would be, like, uh, burying this uncomfortable right. history. Pretending it didn't happen. Yeah. Or at least putting yourself in a position where you can. Yeah. It makes it easier. I think it's easier yeah. than dealing with it and being like, this is a thing. And especially for the medical community of, like, this is a thing we did. Yeah. Um, and we need to, like, 
consider our patients humans as well, you know, and I don't know. So it brings up a lot of different thoughts. Yeah. Thoughts about death, I guess, and like what the meaning of that is. And um, it's, I guess it's creepy. Yeah. But it's unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. So like if, if just the pure idea of it is horrifying to you, you probably shouldn't read it. But if you're like, eh, this is like a Halloween read you could do that's, it's not like gory. Right. It's not like, you know, vile or anything. It's just. Dark. Yeah. It's kind of a dark corner of the world that exists. Yeah. Um, but also it might be a little bit like affirming in that you're like, okay, I could just reassure anyone listening. You're not going to run across one of these by accident. Like, right. It is not going to happen. There are, I think, 20-some known in the world. Yeah. They're probably more in, like, private collections. Um, and then I think something like one out of every five that they've tested turns out to be real. And that's the ones that they strongly suspect are human. Right. Um, and then some they haven't tested because they have to take a minor, like, a piece of the cover so some of the places won't let them right i kind of think it's nonsense because i think they just they're like well if this turns out to not be human skin book right. we got nothing right you know yeah um and then she does meet a lot of interesting characters along the way and they share their different opinions on like what should be done with these books and hmm. including some librarians i could sort of identify with because they were like I work in this library with all this amazing stuff and all anyone wants to see is the damn human skin book. (laughs) All anyone asks for is this thing. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, there's a lot in it. Yeah. It's also very readable though. It's kind of like a Mary Roach feeling. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's all I'm going to say about dark archives. Okay. Cause that was a lot. Yeah. It sounds interesting though. It sounds like the kind of thing that I could, get into reading yeah it's pretty weird nonfiction. yeah it's like uh i don't know what you call them like parallel histories or something you're like yeah this has been going on for a long time and um just sort of exists in our world but i never really thought about it yeah there you go all right uh do you need a reminder no i've got cackle squad and nightmare fuel correct I want to hear about Squad. Okay. Werewolves. All right. Werewolf Heathers. Werewolf Heathers. (laughs) My 90s crush Winona Ryder, for mm. sure. Well, yeah. I mean, you could do worse. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, Squad is written by Maggie Takuda Hall and illustrated by Lisa Sturl. Just so give credit where credit is due. It is about um, this high school student named Becca and she and her parents have recently gotten divorced. And so they've moved to this new town um, and she's at a new school and kind of starting her life over again, which is never fun, especially when you're like junior in high school, like it's pretty rough. And uh, she is in the bathroom one day and ends up um, there's a, a girl in another stall and she ends up giving her a feminine hygiene product 
like <laughs> an emergency one. Hold on. Is this how the werewolfism spreads? No. Okay. This is how, just how they meet. <laughs> I was like, I'm not ready for this. I don't think. <laughs> it's just how they meet. This is a it's very... a thing that happens a lot in, in lady bathrooms. That makes sense to yeah. me. Okay. This is how <laughs> so, they made friends. Yes. How, okay. So... <laughs> She meets her, and it turns out she's, like, one of the most popular girls in school. Okay. And she says, you should come and eat lunch with us. Um, so she she does. She, like, goes and brings her whatever bologna sandwich. It's, like, some regular lunch. Um, and they sit, you know, in the, in the quad or whatever area it is. And um, Marley, Ariana, and Mandy are the three girls, and they're kind of, like the established rulers of the school, like the most popular girls in school. The mean girls. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, and Becca, she sits next to this other girl who is one of the more unpopular girls in her science lab. And uh, she, they're friends, but she definitely like passes her to go and sit with the popular girls and more and more kind of gets drawn in to this world. And um, so one of the girls in particular is she comes from an incredibly rich family. And so she's kind of getting drawn into this new lifestyle where she'll buy her like new dresses and like new clothes so that she'll kind of match their aesthetic. Like she'll look good enough, you know, so, so quote unquote to okay. like hang with them. And uh, so they're, they're dressed nicely. They're hanging out with the right people. They don't eat really. Like they don't eat lunch when they're at lunch. They don't eat lunch. And, uh, before long, she kind of gets, they, they go to like a, a, an out-of-town party. And one of the girls, you know, kind of pushes her to go and hang out with this boy she doesn't know. And he's a little handsy. And um, it turns out that this is kind of what they do. The other three girls are all werewolves. And they go and they find these boys who take liberties. And they eat them. Once okay. a month. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. So what they did is they set her up to be like out in the woods with this boy. And then they show up and they, they kill and eat him as werewolves. And then they say, so now you know our secret. Do you want to be part of the squad? With the implication that if the answer is no, we're going to probably have to kill you because you'll know our secret. Oh, so kind of a choice. But kind of a choice, yeah. <laughs> not not an awesome choice. I mean, she ends up kind of getting into it because there is this feeling of power to the powerless, you know? And she's sure. more upset that they they knowingly put her in this position where she was going to feel like she was in danger. She was like, the bait. Yeah. But didn't know she was the bait. Right. Yeah. Um. But in the end, she's kind of like, okay with it. Okay. And so they have all of these rules um, so that they won't be found out. And that is the part where they basically they don't eat except for during the full moon. And they always go to parties out of town. They never eat in their own area, like in their own school town area. You don't wolf scat where you eat, as exactly. they say. <laughs> and... Uh, then something unexpected happens where the like the head werewolf she has this horrible boyfriend and he makes a pass at Becca and uh -oh. um like a pretty a pretty won't take no for an answer pass at uh -oh. Becca 
And she be, now she's a werewolf. She's incredibly strong, and she pushes him, and he hits his head, and he dies. Oh, no. And so now they've committed this murder in their own area, and the attention is kind of drawn to their community, and people start noticing that there are all of these teenage boys in, in this state who have gone missing. Uh. And so there's an investigation and eyes are like on them and things and get more and more tense. the worst time because they're not tight as a group because there's this yeah. other tension. Exactly. Oh no. Yeah. And also she starts to feel like this is the first time that she has killed someone that she knew. Oh yeah. And so she starts to like look at the whole thing and be like, huh, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure about this anymore. You know, maybe this whole werewolf thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe this isn't as as great as I thought it was. I do see a downside. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So that sounds cool. It is cool. It's you know, it's a single volume. You can read it pretty quickly, and it's entertaining. And um, yeah, it's kind of like that. It's got that Heather's Mean Girls kind of vibe, yeah. um, but with a horror horror slant. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I liked it. Is it uh, is it like a one volume deal? Yeah, one and done. One and done. Nice. So you don't have to like wait for the next thing to come out. That's usually my preference. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'll like wait for a series. Well, I'll start reading a series. Then I'm like, how long is this gonna go? Yeah. And then I usually wait and then just start over again once it's done. I usually have every intention of continuing and then the next volume comes out and I'm like, I got to be sure to read that. And the next thing I know, there are three new volumes and I haven't read any of them. And then yep. I've forgotten. And like, that's what I did with Saga. Yeah. I loved it. And I still think I would want to read it, but I'm so far behind now that I'm like, I'm going to have to read the entire thing again. I think they also took a break at some point because I think whatever the previous the second to last volume that they did and the most recent i think there's a long gap between those two yeah, yeah i just uh this year finally finished the walking dead <laughs> and i started that when it first came out so yeah. that was probably like 2002 or something like I was gonna that say, i'm pretty sure you were the one who turned me on to that series back when i first got my job here yeah so that's been like a 20-year saga, and I was reading them as they came out, probably up to like the 15th volume or something, yeah. and then was like, okay, this is taking too long, and yeah. like, whatever. So then I gave up on it, and then finally this year, I was like, I'm going to read this whole thing. Nice. It's good. The Walking Dead by Robert Kirkman. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus title for all, all right. of the people who've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. The one people. <laughs> Squad. Squad. I like Maggie it. Takuda Hall. Okay. So in review, I talked about Swamp Thing by Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's about a Swamp Thing who mm-hmm. grows a tuber and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> things get weird. Yep, yep. And then Dark Archives by Megan Rosenblum, which is about books bound in human skin, brings up a lot of... Uh, ethical questions. Ethical questions. That I'm glad for me are purely hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't know. I would I would be well, it'd be like uh, on the one hand, in my current job as an e marketer, if HPLD had a human skin bound book, I'd be like, Well, we're gonna be very popular on the internet all of a sudden. <laughs> but I don't know if it's for the right reasons. Yeah. 
This is a dilemma. I feel confident letting all of our patrons know that we do not, in fact, have any books bound in human skin. I am like 99.99999% sure. Like, I don't know where it would be or what it would yeah. be, but... And you may find some, like, gross random hairs. Yeah. But uh, no, no skin. Yeah, once in a while you come across a book where the plastic cover is so cloudy that I'm like, yeah. might actually be a little less gross if this was... Anyway, oh, continuing on. Uh, I did not talk about The Bad Breath Vampire by Charles Hinton. Let's get it over with. Um, I'll, I will just share the origin of The Bad Breath okay. Vampire. I'm ready. So, For, First of all, how long is this book? Because I know he's infamously very short. Probably like 12 pages. Yeah. So you can't uh, give away everything. No, I won't, I won't give away. <laughs> it's going to sound like I'm giving away the worst part or the best part, but I'm not. Okay. If you can believe it. So once upon a time, there was a garbage man, uh, and he was very normal, except he had the worst breath of all time. So he's making his rounds, putting garbage in the garbage truck, uh, and he he drives by the devil's house. As you do. As one does, and the devil happens to be putting out his garbage, as he would do. And so he uh, makes a deal with the devil and sells his soul to the devil if the devil will take his bad breath away. So, you know, like, the devil, uh, being the devil, right. changes his breath to be sweet. But it's so sweet that, you know, he can't stand it. Right. So then he starts eating garbage to off the garbage truck to try and level it out. He can't think of anything else that doesn't smell great to eat. He no. can't, like, gnaw on some garlic or an onion. Nope. Garbage, which kills him. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> And then things get weird. Oh, and then they get weird. <laughs> yeah. Okay, glad to know they get weird I'll at some just point. Leave it there. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Okay. Um, and then the other one that I didn't talk about was a book called "Dead Men Scare Me Stupid" by John Swartzwelder. Um, I printed out an excerpt. Okay. Of the beginning of the book, so I'll just give you a little teaser here. All right. Uh, chapter 1. Well, they found Amelia Earhart. That's the good news. Unfortunately, they found her in the trunk of my car. Boy, was my face red. I had a lot of explaining to do there. And after I had explained everything, they didn't believe me. You probably won't believe me either, come to think of it. Sometimes I wonder why I bother. It all began a few months ago. I was in the middle of a murder investigation. Someone in this stadium is the killer, 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 I announced over the PA system. A mighty roar of surprise and anger went up. Everyone thought they were here for a free ball game, but there would be no doubleheader today. Babe Ruth Jr. was not here, despite what the posters promised. And they wouldn't be seeing a race around the bases between a man and a tidal wave. Nor would the national anthem be sung by an owl. It was all a ruse to get them into the ballpark so I could ask them questions about a little murder investigation I was working on. I'd gotten the idea from a detective novel. I've always been an avid reader of detective novels. They're full of useful tips that can help a detective like me, I mean one of my quality, do his job. I've always needed all the help I can get doing my job because finding criminals is hard. They don't want to be found for one thing. They keep moving around. It gets confusing. You keep forgetting who you searched already and who still needs to be searched. 
Sometimes I wish everyone would just stand still for a minute so I could get everything sorted out. And criminals don't always return to the scene of the crime. People say they do, but they don't. So there's no point in standing there with handcuffs and a jury. Chances are they're not coming. (laughs) If you could spot them by their criminal shape, if they were all bent and twisty or something, that would make it easier. Or if we just had to look for the blinking lights on their heads, or if they had telltale names, this looks like the work of I am guilty. But maybe that would make the detective business too easy. I don't know. There should be some place in the middle we could all live with. Some middle ground. The way it stands now, it's too hard. And then uh, we get to the, the ghost part here. He sees somebody, and he says, It certainly looked like one of my old clients, a guy named Branigan. But I knew it couldn't be him because he was dead due to my incompetence. <laughs> like a lot of people, my blunders have resulted in the deaths of many of those around me. The man I thought I had seen had perished months ago during what I call the case of the dead client. Actually, a lot of my cases are named that. Maybe I should number them instead of naming them. Less confusing that way. But of all the mistakes I had ever made resulting in people getting killed, none had ever come back to haunt me until now, apparently. A half mile farther down the road, the same man was under the streetlight. He tipped his hat to me. A block later, I saw him again. This time, he tipped his head. (laughs) So anyway, it's about an extremely incompetent detective (laughs) who uh, starts to have ghost problems. Where do you find this stuff? I don't know. On the internet. Um, It's a dangerous place. It's, yeah. Maybe you need some supervision. (laughs) And that one's Dead Men Scare Me Stupid. If If you are mildly enticed, I might suggest he did a short story uh, about the Titanic uh, with this detective. I don't know. It's called The Ship That's Something. Here, I mean. Okay, you can look it up. It's hilarious. Somehow he ends up back in time and he's trying to correct things so that they happened as they were supposed to. So the Titanic won't sink. So then him and the captain of the Titanic keep ramming the Titanic into different stuff in order to try and make it sink. And it's just not working. All right, I'm on the internet. Yeah, it's like the ship that wouldn't sink or the boat that's something. John John <laughs> These titles are interesting. Oh, um, yeah, he's got many great titles. The time titles. machine did it. <laughs> that's the first one, which has, I think, my favorite opening line in literature, which is like, My exciting story begins with me being punched in the stomach. (laughs) (sighs) The monster that wouldn't sink? That's it. Okay. The monster that wouldn't sink. The squirrel who saved practically everybody. Also a pretty good one. Doesn't have the detective. (laughs) And is true to the title, uh, because he saves pretty much everybody. (laughs) There is an unfortunate casualty, but it's probably not his fault. Wow. Uh, Did someone hurt you? Oh, yeah. Many people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Just checking in. Many, many horrible things have resulted in in the taste that I have today. Okay. Okay. People, you know, don't, don't worry that you'll end up reading the same things or liking the things that I've liked. It's so unlikely. 
I wouldn't concern yourself with it. You know, you may have actually, you may be reaching people even as we speak who are like, finally, books that I'm interested in. Finally, someone who knows, who knows what's good out there. Yep. This speaks to me on a deep level. Yep. Well. There's a book out there for everybody. Yep. And uh, And to all all of you who feel that way, I'm glad I could help and uh, never contact me. (laughs) I don't don't want to look in that mirror. (laughs) All right. Uh, My books. So um, we discussed Squad by Maggie Takuda Hall and Lisa Sturl, which is the Heathers except they're werewolves. Yep. Uh, And Queen of the Cicadas by V. Castro, which is um, revenge horror kind of steeped in Aztec mythology and um, modern day like migrant worker issues and stuff like that, which is great. And the books I didn't get to talk about, uh, the first one is Cackle by Rachel Harrison. Rachel Harrison also wrote another book called The Return, which I read when it was released, and it's terrifying, and I loved it. So when I saw that she had this new book out called Cackle, I wanted to read it. Um, This one is much more lighthearted than that one is. Um, It's this, she's kind of a sad sack of a lady who, you know, she's been dumped, and she seems to define herself a lot by the state of her relationship and like being single is like super tragic. And it's, it's a little bit like, you know, get up, take a shower, go do something. Like, I had you know. a friend who was like that. Yeah. If he was single for three weeks, he would be like, maybe that's it for me. Maybe yeah. I'll never find love again. And I was like, dude, yeah, you just broke up with your girlfriend three weeks ago. Like give it a little time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she's a bit wallowing and, and all of this. And she moves to this, little town that is like stars hollow from um gilmore, gilmore girls, girls. Yep. it's like the most perfect charming little town where there are no like no uh franchise businesses everything is its own like little charming self and there's it's you know the perfect diner and the perfect coffee shop and like everything is is lovely and there's this farmer's market every week that's filled with like delightful things and <laughs> Um, so she's a little like, you know, as sad as she is, it's also like, you know, this is such a charming town. And she meets this woman there who is, she's dressed in like this very elegant, like long dress. And she has this long flowy hair and she's very like poised and, and elegant and also super friendly and, and lovely. And she immediately is like, um, she befriends her and they, but every, everywhere they go, like, they, they meet at the farmer's market, and people just give her things. Like, she doesn't have to pay for anything. Nobody, like, makes extended eye contact with her. If they, if they do something that they are afraid would offend her, like, they're super apologetic. Mm. And um, Becca can't figure out what it's all about. I think you, based on the title, Cackle, you can kind of get an idea <laughs> of what might be going on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, But it's kind of, so it ends up being a little bit about what is the idea of a witch? Like, why would someone be called a witch? Why is it always women and why are they always outcasts? And um, maybe re-examining some of that. And, you know, there's this TikTok song that came out recently. um, It's called Witch. And it stands for woman in total control of herself. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of the vibe here um, is a little of that. And 
Um, I would say that Annie, the main character, I think I've been calling her Becca because I've been looking at the wrong thing on my screen, but Annie is the main character. She's a little bit, um, she is not a woman in total control of herself, but she, you can see her admiring Sophie and kind of wanting to be that, but also a bit of afraid of what it means. And um, I will say, if you're afraid of spiders, this is maybe not your book. (laughs) There are a Mm. lot of spiders in this book, including one adorable one that wears top hat. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there's um while it's it's about like a horror trope with the witch and you know there are spiders and the creepy things happen. This is definitely a more lighthearted um story and um I would say if you're reading it and you're enjoying it but you're a little bit fed up with Annie, keep reading. Okay. <laughs> it's worth it's worth getting to the end. Okay. Um, and then also I brought Nightmare Fuel by Nina Nesseth, and the subtitle of that one is The Science of Horror Films. And it starts out, I'm, I'm, I'm a science, kind of a science nerd, and like neuroscience and all that stuff interests me. So that's why I picked this up. I also like horror books and horror films, so this appeals. This is up every alley. All my alleys, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, it starts out with, you know, what does fear look like in the brain? What what areas of the brain does it light up? And why is it like that? And what happens? What hormones get released into your system? And why? And how we evolve to be like this? Uh, and then it talks about all of these studies that have done, like, they did these studies where someone will be watching a screen and they'll flash a single frame of something threatening, like a gun or, or something, and you see a hormonal spike in the brain or like a, a brain activity in the certain areas of the brain where fear is located, even if it's not enough of a moment for your brain to recognize what it saw. So even if you uh. aren't like, I just saw a single frame of a gun, it being there, you get a little spike, You're like your brain sees it. Huh. Interesting stuff like that. Yeah. And it, um, so it goes into all of like how your brain reacts to fear, why fear has been evolutional, like important to us in evolution. Like it keeps us alive. You know, we're aware of threats in the world and we respond to them by running or freezing or, you know, all of that stuff. And then how filmmakers use all of these facts about humans and our response to threats and fear and all of that and how they build it into movies Mm. so that we can have the most effective scares. And also I will say this book comes with a, an, like a, an appendix of something like 300 movies that she watched (laughs) in preparing for this book. So if you're looking for a really good list of horror movies. Um, mm. You could check it out just for that. I think it would be worthwhile. I mean, you only have 300 in there. <laughs> yeah, lots lots <laughs> of movies. You're going to find something in there you haven't seen, I guarantee it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, how, so... Uh, how new is this book? Brand new. It's brand new. Yeah, okay. let's see. It was out in August. It was it's released. got a little blue dot on the spine, I see. It does indeed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, it's... I, I find it really interesting, and she has examples of, like... Um, so when John Carpenter made the first Halloween movie, which is one of my all-time favorite horror movies, uh-huh. he showed it to a studio exec um, without the music, because um, I think initially he was thinking it would be very silent and creepy and still, mm. and she didn't like it at all. She, in fact, she hated it. And so um, he went back in and he added all of the 
you know, because he famously Gee! kind of, yeah, the stings, those little <laughs> yeah. like, and the, he, the, the like piano, dun, 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 you know, all of yeah. that stuff. He added all that in. He famously composed the music for this, even though he's not traditionally a composer. Right. But he did a great job. And then he showed it to her again and she loved it. Huh. So it talks, you know, it talks about how the music works and, and the sound effects, how they work and how to make a good jump scare and why do we laugh after a moment like that and, you know, all that, all that kind of good stuff. Um, studies that show that, like, when you're watching a scary movie and you cover your eyes, it sometimes makes it more frightening because your, your hearing is heightened. And your brain fills in the the visuals with something that's terrifying to you. So you end up getting more scared than if you just watched what was on the screen. <laughs> Nothing could terrify you as much as your own brain. Ain't it the truth? Oh. I never thought, well, that's a good idea. If I'm watching a horror movie that's kind of boring, maybe I'll cover Yeah, cover eyes. your eyes. Be like, that was a scary movie. <laughs> I'd be curious to read that part about the laughing because that's, I do that. Yeah. I was I was watching some terrible movie and it it's it was like worth it was worthless but there's this <laughs> there's this part where this monster comes out and it just starts like tearing this guy apart and then it like pulls something out of his body and like throws it at this lady and I was just I burst out laughing because I was like this movie took 45 minutes for anything to happen and then it just went so far yeah and i was like zero so to 150 much. oh man <laughs> and it was like so ridiculous but it was, i mean it was really gross yeah <laughs> i don't know well i think i think you know i i would hesitate to say that i'm like explaining this in any way that's accurate sure. like you want to check for yourself but i think that part of it as i understand is like that release of tension you know especially with like a jump scare like in those the classic one where it's like a cat jumps out of a cupboard right, and right. you're like, oh, it's just the cat. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting thing is also like nobody is surprised by jump scares. We all know they're about to happen and we right. are just as scared as if we didn't know. Yeah. Which I find interesting. So I, there's all of these little tidbits about, you know, the way we are and why and huh. why do we keep going back to these scary movies? And I don't know. I find it interesting and it's I think if you don't like nonfiction writing that is based a lot in um, in research, you might find the beginning especially a little boring because it's like this area of your brain is activated oh, sure. and it uh, you know this gland releases this hormone which causes you know your eyes to dilate. So you might not find that part very interesting, but it gets, when it starts getting into like actual movies and scenes and you know, this, this happens in this movie and, and it's a demonstration of this thing we were just talking about. And I don't know, I think, I think it's interesting. So nice. Yeah. All right. Before we finish, do you want to make a horror movie recommendation for Mm. everybody? Sure. Okay. Uh, do you have one? Yeah, I'll do Halloween three season of the witch. No. no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That is the I know worst you hate that one. Movie. <laughs> you just do it to annoy me. Well, that's not the worst one. No. Well, um, no, it is. <laughs> it is. I don't know. If only because of that song, it is the worst one. Dun, 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 dun. Um, I am going to recommend... You know what? I just watched Us by Jordan <gasps> Peele. I love that. 
I liked it a lot too. And I'm going to say I watched Get Out. And I think the Get Out problem I had was I saw it way after it came out. Oh. And way after everyone had said, this is going to be the most amazing movie you've ever seen. Yeah. And it was good. But it didn't, like, completely blow my mind. It was way too built up for me. Yeah, I hate it when that happens. And then Us, I felt like I hadn't heard as much. Like, people didn't seem as jazzed about it for some reason. Or, like... It's less, um... Like, it's less idea-driven. Like, I feel like that one had a very clear message it was sending. And it was, like, doing a thing. And Us is more of a traditional horror movie for me. Yeah, and I think that's why I liked it, because, I mean, it was way more bonkers, in my opinion. Yeah. But then also, I felt like it had ideas in it, but yeah. it was a little less, like, direct. Yeah. It was a little less, like, I felt, get out, you kind of, everyone who watches that probably walks away with, like, if you asked, what's the message of this movie, yeah. you could probably, 90% of people would say the same thing. Yeah. Us, I think, people would have all kinds of different answers. Yeah. Um, but I just thought it was like, it was a good horror movie where I like those horror movies where it's like a little bit of a journey. Yeah. And you're like, the place the movie ends is almost recognize unrecognizable. Yeah. And you're like, if you had told me, like you'd show me stills from the last 20 minutes of this movie, I'd be like, this isn't the same movie. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really super enjoyable mm-hmm. and I would just encourage people to watch it even if you were, cause if you were like me and you saw Get Out and you were like, I mean, it's fine, but you just weren't that into it, I enjoyed Us more. Yeah. And I think it's really good and it's like a well-made movie and it's just watchable. Very Do you watchable. like my hot take? Yeah. I think if there were any, if the Academy Awards were worth the gold statues that they're made of, <laughs> um, Lupita Nyong'o would have won for Best Actress. She was pretty good. She was great in that. And she, she plays two different people in it. Yeah. And they're so wildly different. Yeah. And, um, like, you can tell the difference between them just in the way that she, like, holds herself. Yeah. I thought she was so good in it. I thought she was so impressive. She was good. Yeah. But, yeah, it's the kind of... When you watch it, you'll... It's like the kind of... They just don't give awards for those kind of movies. I know. I don't know why. Like, that's just... It's like Oscar movies are just like a type of movie, I yeah. guess. And I know. Uh, I've stopped paying as much attention to them. And honestly, yeah. what did it is that I served on an award committee for books. Yeah. And so I've seen a bit how the sausage gets made. And now I am very aware of how arbitrary all of this is. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like Academy Awards, it's like. Well, you're probably not going to have a terrible time if you were like, I'm going to watch all the Best Picture nominees. Right. You know what I mean? But I'm guessing most individuals would not look at the list of Best Pictures and agree with many of them from the years that they were like alive yeah. and watching movies. Yeah. But but yeah, anyway, I think it's really super enjoyable. And I think sometimes like people get turned off from Jordan Peele's movies because I think... A lot of the press and stuff about them is about, like, what do they really mean? Yeah. And, like, whatever. And I'm, like, if if that's, if you're, like, eh, whatever, watch, just watch us. And it's, like, just think about it, like, you don't have to, he's made this decorative knot out of these different threads, and you don't have to untie it. Right. Like, that's not, 
this other required point. to yeah. enjoy this movie. And so I think I, I just enjoyed it yeah. quite a bit. Well, interestingly, I thought about changing my answer because of your answer, uh-huh. but I'm going to stick with it. I'm picking Nope, <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the latest Jordan Peele <laughs> movie, <laughs> which is out um, either next week or the week after on DVD. So it'll after, be out in time for Halloween. Because I was like, it's just barely in time. Yeah, 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 just barely, but it is out. I saw it in the theater. Uh, I don't go to the theater very often anymore because of, you know, I'm still uncomfortable in crowds and sure. <laughs> all of that stuff, but... Uh, I'm a big Jordan Peele fan, and so I really wanted to see it in the theater. So I went in the theater. I think this was actually the movie I saw when I went and bought that wild snail eating, Sound of a Wild Snail eating book at the Tattered Cover. I was waiting for my friend to go see this movie when I bought that book. So anyway... All of this to say, like it's uh, this is unlike any of his other movies, hmm. and uh, it has a bit of a sense of humor that I, I don't want to say it's horror comedy because I don't think that it is, but there are definitely moments that are meant to be funny and that are funny. I don't want to say too much about what it's about because I had no idea, and I think it's better that way. Okay, <laughs> but. Um, the whole thing is set on a California horse ranch. Uh, the main family has deep roots in Hollywood. Um, they, one of their ancestors was the first man to be like photographed, like in a sequential way that then like you spin the circle and it looks like oh, a guy yeah, riding yeah. a horse. And it was like their ancestor. And yeah. so they have, you know, deep roots in the community of horse training for movies and that kind of thing. And they're still doing that. And, uh, but they're struggling. The, they're, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm struggling with how much to say. Right. Um, I guess I'll just say like one of the opening scary scenes, just so that you kind of get a sense of what the movie's going to be like. Not what it is, but there. So it's this father and son are basically the ones holding this ranch down. They are. There's also a daughter, but she's not really there on the regular. Okay. So they're out doing chores and stuff on the on the ranch, taking care of the horses, and then all of a sudden you hear all of these like sounds coming from somewhere in the sky, like screams and voices and shouting, and they're looking up. And there's, you can't really tell what it is. And then all of a sudden, all of these little objects start falling from the sky. And the father falls off of his horse. And it turns out that he was struck in the head with a quarter that killed him. Okay. And, like, that's kind of what starts the whole, like, something weird something is, is going happening. on in this area. Okay. And that's all I'm going to say, except that it was... Not what I thought, and it was so much fun to watch and so strange, and I, I'm i excited to see it again. I like it. Yeah. That sounds, yeah. On the on his trajectory, I was like, as he's gotten weirder, I've liked him more. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds like a uh, good sign for me. <laughs> yeah. He's an interesting filmmaker. I'm really excited to see what else he does, because he, like, he has this really strong background in comedy. He's such a funny yeah. guy. And yet he's managed to write these, like, really great, like, smart horror. This is the kind of horror I point people to when they think that horror is stupid or it's for stupid people. Like, it's, he writes these artistic, smart, sophisticated horror movies that are still scary and great. Yeah. And I love it. 
Yeah. All right. Yay. We did Happy it. Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. And we're done. Yeah, we did it again. All right. Well, I guess go watch a Jordan Peele movie. <laughs> 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 or, you know, drop into your local library. Talk to one of us about about scary movies. We're happy to talk about them. There's or, so many good ones. Or about Dead Men Scare Me Stupid. Right. Because I would be happy to talk to you about it. Or check out Night Nightmare Fuel and look at their list of scary movies. Yeah. I mean, if you've read all the John Schwartzwelder books, I guess read that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>